This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. You'll feel terror you've never felt before, and you'll scream like you've never screamed before. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. My friend, it is so good to be talking to you right now. My name is Trevor. Welcome to your Boo Crew Podcast, episode 377, just settling into the beginning of the week here. Hope you're doing incredibly, and if you haven't been, I hear you a thousand percent. I'm right there with you. Listen, you're here because you love horror, so let's focus on what we love. Let's immerse ourselves in it. We'll talk about it, watch it, and celebrate what it is that makes you happy. Sound good? All right, let's go. Apple Podcasts is where you can go to rate the show and write us a review. We're going to read those reviews at the top of the show. Thank you sincerely for taking the time to do that. We've gotten so much in the past week. It fills our hearts like you can't imagine. Since it's just me solo recording right now, we're going to go through those when the whole group of us gets together next, right along with you. For now, we have a guest this week. Look at that. This film is awesome and so unexpected. We had a great time with it. It starts as one thing, has so many fun twists and turns along the way. It's called You're Killing Me. The time of release comes out in theaters and digital this Friday, April 7th. Something to look forward to. I just wanted to say hey real quick on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo. But for now, I'm going to get out of the way for a delightful convo with the amazing McKaylee Miller, star of You're Killing Me, now slaying. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Oh, no. This is going to be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That said, joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is an incredible actor whose work continues to be adventurous and thrilling to watch with each project she takes on. When she was barely a teenager, she landed one of her first roles on ABC's supernatural crime drama, cult favorite, The Gates. That set her on the path towards some extraordinarily successful film and TV projects with the biggest studios and creatives in the world, like the two-time Emmy-winning Wizards of Waverly Place for Disney, 2012's The Iceman, alongside Winona Ryder, Chris Evans, and Michael Shannon. There was the Teen and People's Choice winning Awkward for MTV, Chris Dowling's Festival Smash. Smash, Where Hope Grows, CW's Heart of Dixie, Bones, Ryan Murphy's Scream Queens, Blumhouse's Ma, and so much more. Most recently, she stole our hearts with the six-time award-winning Butter. She's embraced the art and spirit of indie filmmaking and shorts, co-writing and producing So It Goes in 2017, and a wonderful growing collection of others throughout her still very young career. On screen, she is fearless and unforgettable building characters that are vastly different from one to the next, and through that, crafting moments that are truly iconic. Just look at the poster art for her new film. A jolting and atmospheric roller coaster with suspenseful and completely unexpected twists doused with buckets of blood, and she absolutely kills it. It follows the story of Eden, who attends the party of a wealthy prep school classmate whose parents might hold the key to her getting into an elite university. You're killing me! Hit select theaters and digital April 7th. School's gonna be weird on Monday. We are honored to be joined by its star, the indelible McKaylee Miller. 
Yeah. That was the nicest intro I've ever heard about me in my entire life. Oh my I God, am you're kidding. So flattered. Come on, come on. You deserve you. every word of it. My God. Oh my gosh. Oh, I got to keep you guys around. <laughs> I feel so great about myself. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to hang with us. And again, congratulations on this awesome surprise of a film. And we're so excited to talk all about it. But we'd love to start by. I guess just getting a look into your relationship with the horror genre in general. What are some of your earliest memories of being exposed to it and how did it make you feel? Yeah, uh, I love horror, thriller, psychological, all of that. That's like my genre right up my alley. Um, but, you know, that was sort of the first type of movie that really gathered my interest in like filmmaking uh, my brother and I used to wait when we were way too young like early middle school we used to spend our entire summers just like binge watching horror movies started with all the old classics and then found all the new ones we would go down rabbit holes and just watch the most random obscure scary movies but like that was our that was our thing um, so I just there's something so special about this genre that just it, it, as an audience member to just watch it's you always you feel a range of emotions that maybe you forgot you could feel or that, you know, it's just fun to experience that sort of, um, you know, feeling again. So, yeah, I've always been a fan of the genre and making it has just made me even more of a fan. And I love all things bloody and gory. And <laughs> <laughs> you, do, you do it very well. Are there any are there any particular favorites that have been instrumental in turning you into a horror fan? Oh, yeah. Well, so uh, very early on, my favorite movie for 10 years has been Coraline. Yeah. The anime movie, which says a lot about me as a kid, but that was my favorite movie at 11 years old. So that was sort of my first like introduction to like creepy things and scary things. And it's always been like, oh, love of my life. I love Coraline. And now as an adult, I like, you know, will invite my friends over to watch Coraline and they're like, you liked this when you were 11? This is scary, Michaeli. This is not... Like, what are you watching? So I think that was kind of like my first introduction, but like my all-time favorites are like Hereditary and, you know, Get Out and more of the like psychological ones. Um, I love Hereditary. And yeah. I love watching Hereditary with people that haven't seen Hereditary before. Just sitting there and watching them right? watch it. Yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. seeing that in the theater and just the air gets sucked out of that place in so many moments. And you're just like, oh, my God, what are we watching? Yeah. It's that feeling. It's, uh, I just, I love that feeling. Yeah. Well, we, talking about that feeling, we mentioned off the top that you've already built an extraordinary collection, a back catalog of, of horror films yourself. This one is, is, is a great one of those. What are some of the things you enjoy about being a part of telling stories within the genre space as a performer? As a performer, um, because I honestly am crazy. I love night shoots. I love screaming. I love crying. I love traping through blood and mud and getting dirty. Um, I just like that to me is my happy place, which is so uh, insane to say. But I love it. There's something so cathartic about just like immersing yourself into a role like Eden that is just kind of it, it's kind of like therapy. Like you're kind of just letting it all out mm -hmm. through this character. And I, it, it's so it is so, so fun to do. Tell us a little bit about your journey towards your killing me. How did it get on your radar? And, and what were some of the things that excited you about this remarkably interesting script from Walker Hare and uh, Brad Marticello? 
Yeah. Well, so I met Jaren, um, who's one of the co-directors, mm-hmm. about a year uh, before this came along. And this kind of came out of the blue. And I got an email that was like, hey, read this. Jaren's co-directing it. Uh, let us know what you think. I was like, oh, Jaren, horror? Um, yes, great. I need to go home and I need to read this. And I obviously was on the edge of my seat the entire time. Didn't put the script down once. And you'll see when you watch, you know, when they watch the movie, it is, it's like, go, 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 go from very early on. So it really captured my attention. And then, of course, the excitement of like getting to actually work with Jaren after knowing him for about a year or so and loving Eden, who's just this like fierce, bold, strong woman character. Um, I was just really excited about all aspects of it and was like, yes, 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 yes. Whatever I need to do. <laughs> yes. Were, were any lines improvised or did you stick to the script? Um, uh, yes, lines were improvised. <laughs> there's quite a, it's, yeah, there's quite a few, um, especially with like me and Kiara who plays Zara. I think that we, our friendship off screen was just kind of so strong that it sort of just bled on screen. Um, and so we sort of just improvised with each other and, and really let our relationship kind of show. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously we stick the script as close as possible, but there are some things in there that are like, Oh yeah, that made it. Yay. That was funny. <laughs> Leo, jump in with your question, man. Yeah. Working with the late, uh, Anne Heche, which if I'm not mistaken, this might be her last film. Um, what, what, was it, what was it like working with her, especially in the third act? Did you both get to do your own stunts? Um, yes, partially. <laughs> we got to partially do our own stunts, um, which I think is something that's so cool about Anne, was she was like, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. Throw me in there. Let me, you know, where she gets thrown. Not to spoil it, but she was like, throw me in there. I want to do it. Let, let me, like, she just grabbed the bull by the horns and was like, what are we doing? Oh, amazing. Let's go. Let me know if I'm hurting you. I was like, no, you could never hurt me. Bring it on. So it was really, really cool to, to have her as a scene partner and just feel her fiercefulness and, you know, get to to work with her and, and sort of create these characters together. But yeah. She is the, I mean, kindest, most driven, caring person. And we all feel very lucky that we were able to to spend time with her. Yeah, her performance is absolutely extraordinary in this as well, yeah. which is it's so, yeah. so great to see. Yeah, we had no idea what she was going to bring to the table. And I remember the first day when she, I mean, I think we were even just doing a rehearsal and she just brought it and we all were like, oh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about the, the director, Jaron, a co-director, Jaron Lauder. Also involved is Beth Hanna. What was the dynamic between working with two directors on set? Yeah, it was really interesting. I've never worked with uh, co-directors before. So I was I had a lot of questions going in. Um, but it was really cool to watch them get to bounce ideas off of each other. And, you know, it, it was kind of nice to be like, oh, what do you think about it? It was kind of nice to hear them talk. And um, they kind of would almost take turns with who would do what. So if it was like a scene that like Beth really, really loved this idea in her head about a vision, she would kind of take over the visuals and Jaren would be more of the like, hey, bring a little more intensity or less intensity. And then the opposite, if it was something Jaren very visually had an idea for, Beth would be the one to be like, how are you feeling? What What are you processing? Like more of the actor's director. So it was cool to have the dynamic of both of them and 
to have two separate people to to collaborate with. Mm-hmm. And there's really so much going on in this film. I mean, it goes from a murder mystery to die hard to a full on 70s grindhouse film out of nowhere. And aesthetically, this film is so unabashedly unique in its look and feel. And right from the start, we get this awesome retro title card and this exceptionally interesting synth-based score reminiscent of a work of John Carpenter or more recently like Disaster Pieces work on on It Follows. And it's done by this guy, Sanford Parker, who comes from the world of hardcore and metal music, being quite a legendary musician and producer in, in that space. After seeing the film, what did you love about what that distinctive score brought out? Yeah. Oh, it really brings up the intensity, which I think is such a make or break thing for thrillers like this. The music can really make or break it. And watching it with the sound and I got to watch it at home and I have a really nice, like big uh, speaker. And so you can feel the vibration, yeah, you know, yeah. and that just oh, I cannot wait to see it in a the theater with a bunch of people because to feel that shaky and then to hear it's it just really brings the uh, intensity times 100 and it just makes it so much more fun to watch. Yeah. And the cinematography of uh, Jeff Tomko is stunning and very outside the box. Even the lighting yeah. when you're doing your makeup before the party, these visceral pastels that are used, all the shots are impeccably designed. Was constructing this kind of heightened experience with a ton of emphasis on the look and feel something that you were aware uh, of while making the film? Did it have any effect on your approach? Um, it didn't have any effect on my approach, but I did. It, I did feel it very early on when we were sort of having like creative decisions or conversations on rehearsal day. So where everyone's already said, yes, everyone's there. We're shooting tomorrow. But then Jaren and Beth sort of let us in on their like vision with um, Jeff and what they sort of saw and the way that they described, they're like, we're going to have visions like you looking straight down the barrel of the camera and we're going to have a lot of eye to eye connection and a lot of side and a lot of, and I was like, that is everything I love about movies. I love outside of the box, weird, quirky things that you don't, it's not traditional. It's very um, like new and, and fun and exciting. And so I, as an actor was like, I'm going to look straight into camera. Okay. Great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like that first conversation that you have with Schroeder at the school. It's one of the first, it's super wide, but it's so intimate because you're looking straight at us. Did you film it like that? Were you just looking right down the barrel of the camera? Is that one instance where that happened? Yep. That's the, that, yep. That's straight down the barrel. And the first time that we shot it like that was uh, the scene um, when I am in the, every time I raise my hand, it goes, you're about to raise your hand to ask a question. No, I'm <laughs> acting with my hands. Leave me alone. Um, when my hands are up on the uh, door, yes. and we're kind of having a conversation through the door. That was the first time we shot something like that. And so the camera's right there in my face. And I just had, and I knew that Jaren had mentioned like, oh, we're going to, play with this and I just had this feeling to like look inside the camera and I did and he came up to me afterwards and he was like how did you read my mind and I was like what do you mean he was like I meant to tell you to look dead into the camera and I forgot and I'd already called action and I was like oh I'll I'll tell her in the next scene I'll I'll just tell her when we get to the next take like it's fine but you the second I thought that you looked straight into the camera and I was like we must have telepathy (laughs) 
So it was kind of like, it was a cool, just like seamless, like we all kind of read each other's minds and we all like were so on board with the visuals that they had that I just, I felt it in my gut and I was like, I think I should look down the camera now. And it was, and that was the timing and that was it. It, So I love playing with things like that. It was so fun to play with that. It really comes across. And in those moments when you're having those, that conversation or it happens a few times from that bedroom with the door in between you, was any of that shot in real time as far as the actual dynamics of the conversation goes? Because you maintain the tension beautifully in those moments, which is so important and vital to the flow of the film. (laughs) Or was it, was it done after the fact? Like, did you have two separate camera crews on each side of the door? How did that work? No. So the door is actually two separate doors okay. and the hallway and the bedroom are in separate areas of the house. Okay. Wow. So, <laughs> so I was doing all of my coverage downstairs in the, in the master bedroom to a door. And then when we were doing Bryce who played Schroeder's coverage, that was upstairs in the guest room hallway at a completely other door that led to nothing. It was like a tiny little attic. So I would, when we were doing his coverage, I would be crammed back there behind everybody to read off camera with him. And he was doing the same downstairs for me. So no, shot at two completely different times. I think like a week or two apart because we moved from places of the house at a time. That's movie magic right there. Movie magic, baby. The Boo Crew will be right back. Now the hour of horror approaches and the terror begins at midnight. Midnight. When the dead drink the blood of the living, you pray as the clock ticks that midnight will never come. But it does. And when it does, the most incredible, unbelievable, bizarre acts of horror take place. You'll know fright you've never known before. You'll feel terror you've never felt before. And you'll scream like you've never screamed before at midnight. Don't miss John Russo's Midnight from the co-author of Night of the Living Dead. If you only see one horror film this year, see the one everybody's talking about. Midnight. Rated R. Under 17. Not admitted without parent. If you have a weak stomach, don't come. I was just wondering, were the home party scenes actually filmed in a Georgia suburb home or were the interiors or some of the scenes uh, shot on sets? No, this entire thing was shot on location. It was uh, outside of Atlanta. And yeah, all the party scenes were inside of that house. In fact, two of my friends came to visit shooting and they actually are background extras in that party scene. Um, And it was so fun. That was their first time they'd ever been on a set or seen anything behind the scenes before so they were just like oh, we get to dress up as angels and dance okay and it was really fun to like bring bring someone new like that on set but yeah we crammed all those people into this house and actually partied and <laughs> had a good time <laughs> did you actually get the ball in the cup during beer pong <laughs> maybe once but not the shot that made the movie <laughs> 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 It was mortifying. The amount of times that they'd be like, okay, and do it again, guys. Okay, could you make it this time? And we're like, 
No, they just had to reframe it because we were missing every single shot. I would have missed them all. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So embarrassing. They're like, how can we rig this so that we can just like, how do we do it? Do we put a string? Like what? And it just... Yeah, if you look closely, when I make it in the movie, the ball very clearly misses, but we celebrate anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about one scene that maybe some people find trivial, but I thought it was awesome. You're rifling through the bathroom and you pull out a rand- random drawer revealing a hand mirror. But at that exact moment, Zara's reflection is captured perfectly in the hand mirror. Was there specific timing involved or was that after the f- an after the effect shot? No, that was in the moment. I think we maybe did three takes of that because we didn't have any time. We were shooting so, so, so fast. So it was kind of like, you got to get this and you have to get it quick. And I do remember that because they placed, you know, it's like a dance. They place you exactly where you got to be. And, um, and we got it really quick and they were like, oh my God, we got it. Okay, move on. Let's go. But it's like little things like that where like Jeff would be like, oh, I have this idea. Do we have time to make this work? Let's figure it out. And it was like constant conversations of how can we make this, you know, look more interesting or how can we find a quirky shot that we didn't think of until right now. And a lot of using what was around them and like in the space and just figuring it out. Like they're, they're genius. They're just they're so smart the way that their brain thinks. It's it's incredible. The dance between yourself and Bryce Anthony Heller, who plays Schroeder, mm. is outstanding and it's nuanced. That relationship ebbs and flows uh, so much and he plays it like an absolute madman what did his energy bring out in you oh that's a great question he first of all is so incredibly talented i loved watching him when i wasn't like if i was off camera or if i was just watching him was so fascinating. I love to see him just become Schroeder because Bryce in real life is so nice and so like normal and easy to talk to and fun, like easygoing guy. And then all of a sudden he switches on to Schroeder and you're like, Oh, you're going to, you're going to kill me. I'm scared of you. So it was really interesting. And I think, you know, especially in those moments uh, towards closer to the end of the film where, where uh, Schroeder starts getting like more intense and the, you know, parents start getting more involved. That really brought out a side of me that was more like, okay, I am scared, but like, okay, let's just power through. Let's do this. Like it it definitely did spark a new sort of a new version of Eden for sure, because you never know how your scene partner is going to do something. And so him bringing that intensity, I think is what really brought, you know, that scene with the, I I don't want to do spoilers. I know it's hard, right? Association scene, if you will. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's vague enough. Um, But that's not at all how I plan to do that scene. That's not at all. And then all of a sudden, you know, Bryce and and everybody sort of brought this other energy and it kind of changed the way that we saw that scene going and it changed the performance. And it's, it's really fun how you can think something and then you get on the day and you start feeling everybody else's like vibe and energies and how they're doing it. And you're like, Oh, ah, I didn't think of it like that, but okay. Yeah. I have to do this now because that matches you. So mm. it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun to kind of, you know, ping pong back and forth with them. Your best friend, Zara, how did you build such a tangible chemistry? I wish I could tell you guys we were friends for 10 years. We met the day before we started filming. Wow. Like, we, we met on set. I, as did all the rest of the cast members, like we all met basically on day one 
And it just was this like seamless bond between everybody. And especially with Kiara, you know, her and I are supposed to be Edenins are our old time best friends forever. And we both knew that this was going to be, you know, sort of an intense process. And, and we both kind of had those conversations early on of like, okay, how do you function in stress and how do you, and what can I do? And so we had like really deep, nice, helpful conversation at the very top, which I think just really made us like trust each other. And we got along so well. And I think that so much of like me and Kiara in our lives kind of came through with Eden and Zara and, yeah, it was just, it's just nice when you get a group of people who get along so well and like all have similar interests and like to do the same things. Like we would, we would film forever. And then at the end of the night, Will, who plays Gooch, bought a projector and we would hang up a sheet in the hotel room and like project movies and we'd play Uno and we'd like go down to the local like restaurant together. Like we, it was like an inseparable four weeks of bonding with, with everybody. I wanted to talk about uh, Will, who plays Gooch. What an awesome character. I mean, not only he's got this awesome. amazing look, right? These dresses, kind of this, I don't know, some sort of Norwegian metal demon throughout yeah, the film. what is that? Right? I don't know. But it's great. And the image, like, it, it becomes even more cool as he kind of gets caked in blood, as we all get caked in blood. It's part of the iconography of this film. And he plays this character so emotionally and erratically. What were some of the surprises of his performance that moved you? So much. That's what's so funny about Will is when you read this script, Gooch is kind of like this like jockey, like doesn't really care about anything kind of guy. And what Will brings to it is so opposite of what I envisioned from the, the words on the page. So sitting back and watching Will, especially that scene with um Zara in the when he's like making her the drink and like his little nervous laughter and his I was behind the monitor watching that whole scene and it's just like oh my my god he's so endearing and that's just not even like you want so badly to hate him because you know he's not a good guy but you're like oh but you're just so endearing and you're so on and you care and yeah his little improvisation with like the hitting himself in the head and like all of that just kind of came to him on the day like none of that was planned he just did it once in a scene and then was like oh i think that might be my thing i think that might be gucci's thing i think that might be like he was just very introspective about it all and so it was so fun watching him make this version of gooch that none of us saw coming besides these special memories is there anything you were able to keep from the set for yourself yeah i kept this jacket <laughs> nice oh, cool. We have two versions nice. of the jacket. We have a clean version, obviously, and then one from the end where it's all dirty and, you know, bloody and all the things. Um, and so I stole the clean version. <laughs> yeah, what about the angel wings? And how many of angel wings sets were there? God, I think there was there was at least four sets of angel wings. Um, I did not keep them because by the end, we didn't have a clean pair. Sure. By the end, we had to dirty our last clean pair because... We needed a like semi dirty version. Right. We had like the crashed, the broken, the you know dirty, and then they were like, we need it just like a little bit dirty. Like it, like we're only you know halfway through the movie, so we had to dirty the last pair of clean wings. But as a wrap gift for everybody, I I got little um, keychains that are little wings that look just like that. So Aww. in a way, in a way, we kept the wings. Yeah, yeah. yeah the axe was a great prop too. That makes a lot of appearances awesome. in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Who ended yeah. up with the axe? I, Anybody? Do yeah. anyone hold on to that and put it in a frame somewhere? It should be. No. And also, that axe was like rubber on the tip. Oh, <laughs> it really? so good in the movie. It looks so good in the movie. It was the fakest axe. It was so <laughs> funny. Yeah, totally bendable. Like, it, I mean, it sells. It sells oh, so sure, well. Sure, for sure. Yeah, it does. It does. Were there any uh, wild ideas that couldn't be filmed due to budget or time or perhaps an alternate ending that didn't make the final cut? Oh, um, there was an alternate ending, but we changed the ending to what it is now. Was it ever shot? No, we never, we never, never shot, shot it. it. No, we okay. never shot it. Yeah. But interesting, just completely different, just totally different. But yeah, that's the only like alternate ending or anything. There wasn't anything that we didn't have time to do. We, we really hunkered down and we got this done in, in just about four weeks, which is a lot to do in four weeks. Oh, with for stunt sure. My things. God. Yeah. But we got it. We got it done. So no, we're very lucky that we didn't have to cut anything. Well, as we get to the end here, what is basically the experience that you hope people to have with this film? I hope that people just enjoy this film as much as we enjoyed making it. And it's it's fun and it's suspenseful and it's thrilling. And that's, you know, why people watch movies, right? They watch movies to to feel something. And so I hope that Whoever watches this, I hope they enjoy it, but I hope that they feel something and I hope they I hope they're stressed and scared. <laughs> Those are the emotions I would hope they feel. Oh, they will be. Yeah. So is there more horror in your future? Um, yeah, hopefully. I um there is potential for another horror movie in the next month or two. Um, no announcements yet, but that will probably be announced soon. Um, and then, yeah, just sticking to kind of just doing a wide variety of things. And like, I'm going back to 911 Lone Star in a week to do another episode there. So I'm just sticking to kind of just playing around and doing all kinds of things and yeah, having a lot of fun. Oh, well, that's wonderful. McKaylee, thank you for always chasing the unexpected, uh, for entertaining and inspiring us with authenticity and heart and for being you. Oh, thank you guys so much. This was so fun. Oh, you're awesome. The movie, we had a blast with it. Seriously, yeah, we're it huge so fans. so fun. Yeah, amazing. Amazing job. See, that's, yeah. that's what I want people to feel when they leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Isn't she amazing? That was so fun. The Blue Crew Podcast, episode 377, comes to an end right now. Special thanks to McKaylee Miller, whose new film, You're Killing Me, is out in theaters and digital April 7th at time of release. Production tracks provided by the great Power Man 5000. Till next time, from myself, Lauren and Leo, it is the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. Horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creatures.
Creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.